Chris knows me well. I need the reminder for the recorder. When launched on June 7, 1958, the Edmund Fitzgerald was the longest and greatest ship on the Great Lakes. By ore freighter standards, it was luxurious and advanced. It had plush seating, it had air conditioning, it had the most advanced radar and nautical equipment um, of, of any ship on the Great Lakes. For 17 years, the Edmund Fitzgerald navigated the Great Lakes, carrying iron ore to various ports um, in the Great Lakes. And on November the 9th, 1975, uh, the ship left from Duluth, Minnesota on its way to Detroit, Michigan. And another ship was traveling at the same time around the same path um, called the SS Arthur M. Anderson. They were traveling together in close proximity, and a day into their trip, a fierce storm arose. There were 35-foot waves. The captain of the, uh, of the Edmund Fitzgerald had said that it was uh, the worst storm that he had ever experienced. On shortly uh, around 7, 7, 10 p.m., the Arthur Anderson radioed to the Edmund Fitzgerald to ask for its status. And the captain radioed back at 7.10 saying, we are holding our own. That's the last anyone heard from anyone on the Edmund Fitzgerald. They estimate that within 15 minutes of that transmission, the, the ship laid to rest at the bottom of the lake. 29 people died. There was no distress signals and there was no calls for help. Tonight, I want us to think about our status. Christy had sent me a podcast a few days ago, uh, the Excel Still More podcast, and there was one titled Living with Purpose, and some of these thoughts have come from that purpose, and some of these are just conversations that Christy and I have had just about living intentionally, living with purpose, living with a mission focus. In the podcast, I would encourage you to listen to it. Um, a couple of things that, uh, that stood out were this idea of having a mission focus and being an IMG person, a person who is growing, who is excelling, who is maturing. Is that those terms, the terms that describe us? One of the things that, uh, one of the sayings that we have at work is do not confuse activity with progress. Just because we are active and just because we are busy, it doesn't mean that we are necessarily productive. It doesn't mean that we are growing. Sometimes we can get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. We get so busy. We get so many things going on. Things maybe not inherently bad. Maybe a lot of things that are really good. And we feel comfortable. But are we growing? Are we excelling? Are we maturing? Are we progressing? Or... Are we holding our own? There's a saying that we sometimes use when we see someone who is really serious, someone who is really committed, someone who is intent, someone who will not be distracted from that which they are pursuing, the task that is his hand, and we say sometimes, man, that's a man on a mission. I want to talk about that tonight. Are we a people on a mission? Are we a people with purpose? 
Military shows will often talk about the mission. The mission is preeminent. The mission takes importance above everything else. Mission goals and objectives are priority over the the preference of the individuals who are undertaking the mission. The mission objectives and goals are, are priority over the safety of the individuals. It's priority over anything that the individuals have going on back home, any family, any friends, any job, anything else. It's all about the mission, right? All about the mission. I want us to talk about this mission. And I want us to talk about it in a few different ways. But first, I want to think about how Jesus is the ultimate example of mission focus. And we know that by what he did, how he spent his time, the words that he used. We know that about what he sacrificed all on behalf of the mission. In John, the sixth chapter, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Think about what that experience must have been like for Jesus to leave heaven, leaving the presence and glory of God and coming to earth. If you were to come to earth, if you were, if you were in Jesus's spot in the presence of God in glory, and you were going to come to the earth, tell me what time period, time period of, of the earth's existence would you come? Would you come 2000 years ago or would you have come now? I would have come now. We have advancements in medical abilities. We have air conditioning. We have a nice warm building uh, to to, uh, assemble in. We have indoor plumbing. And yet, if Jesus would have come now, we may not have had that story of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And anointed him with oil. Or Jesus washing his disciples' feet before his crucifixion. Look over in Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans, the fifth chapter, talks not just about why Jesus came, who Jesus came for. But in verse 6, it talks about, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though for perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by, by the death of his son. How much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus came 2,000 years ago because it was the right time for him to die. It was the right time for him to come. It was the right time for him to die. This is all happening on God's timeline, not man's. Jesus was mission-focused not only because of what he gave up, the glories in heaven, but also who he gave it up for. We can look in the scriptures and we see the descriptors of us, that we were weak, that we were ungodly, that we were sinners, that we were enemies. You ever do something nice for someone, maybe go the extra mile, 
only to be received with like uh, nonchalance or nor um, ingratitude. Is, I don't know if that's a word, ingratitude, but I think you get the, the point. Right? Jesus came to experience the, the filth and the grossness of human experience, particularly 2,000 years ago. At a time when death and disease was, was everywhere, it was rampant. Multitudes of people are coming from everywhere to come see Jesus that are ravaged by sickness and death and, or is ravaged by sickness and disease. They're surrounding him. They're touching him. He's constantly being watched by the Pharisees so that they might either catch him in sin or that they might trick him into sin. He performs miracles that confirm that he's the Christ only for the people to just want to see more signs or want more food. What was the payoff? He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was abandoned by the rest of his disciples. He was crucified by the ones he came to save and he knew it and he did it anyway because that was his mission. He also gave up earthly glory. John, the sixth chapter, verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Having been welcomed into Jerusalem as a king, at the moment of his arrest, Peter draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And in Matthew 26 53 and 54, it says, Jesus says, Do you not think I can appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus had the power and the authority to command those angels to come to his rescue. What a demonstration that would have been to all of Jesus' opponents. All of the people who are calling for his crucifixion when 12 legions of of angels come to his defense. Think they really would have tried even harder to make him king then? And Jesus gave that up as well. He gave it up because his mission was to fulfill the scriptures. We see Jesus' commitment to the mission and his purpose by what he left in heaven. The glory of God, the glory of this earth that he sacrificed for a people who betrayed him, abandoned him, and crucified him. And there's other aspects. We can see Jesus' mission focus. In fact, I mean, every time we read words or descriptors of what Jesus is doing, it's just a reinforcement. And Jesus is all about the purpose that he came for. But we see in Jesus' life his constant devotion to prayer. Spending all evening, all night in prayer. We see his patience and long-suffering. The relentless pursuit of those who need something from him. And the patience and the grace that he, graciousness in which he dealt with them. Turn over to Matthew the 16th chapter. We also see here in Matthew the 16th, the seriousness with which Jesus uh, took his his purpose and his mission and how does he deal with, with people who might either distract him or dissuade him from the purpose for which he came. Matthew 
Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses beginning in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Can you imagine if this is, if you were Jesus, right? You know what's going to happen. And you start to relay this. You know your purpose. You know what your mission is. And you know it's going to be awful. And you start to relay this to to your closest friends and disciples. So you know what's what's going to happen. And you know that it needs to happen. And those two things can be true. And it can also be true that you do not want this to happen. Later in the garden, we see Jesus praying three times to God about the, if it's possible to let the, let the cup pass from him. But nevertheless, your will be done. So it may not be that big of a surprise for us to see Jesus' stern rebuke to Peter. What we see is Jesus' commitment. To the mission, to the purpose that he came to fulfill. We see a similar type of mission focus in Paul's life as well. Look over in uh, Philippians, the third chapter. Paul, on a, before meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus was a bit of a, a rising star among the Jewish religious establishment. He was taught under Gamaliel, a reputable, well-known uh, rabbi. He held the coats of those who stoned Peter. In Acts 8, it talks about him ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Acts 9, he's breathing murderous threats against the disciples, and he's Gets authority to go a hundred miles. And you think about a hundred miles when you don't have a car. hundred miles to Damascus, 135-ish, to bring people back to prison. And in Philippians, the third chapter, he talks about if anyone has the, the confidence to boast in the flesh, it would be him, beginning in verse 4. Or beginning in verse uh, uh, 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had to gain, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Verses four through six talk about everything that he gave up for Christ. This earthly glory, the respect of men, preeminent position within the religious community. He was a Pharisee. He was well-educated. He was zealous. He was a rising star, right? And he gives it all up in verse 7. Whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul's mission was gaining Christ, knowing him, knowing the power of his resurrection, sharing in his suffering, being like him in his death for the hope that he might attain the resurrection. Once I went to a few, several years ago, I went up to Chicago for a work trip. Uh, several of us um, went and we met up there and it was one of the neatest, um, you know, most of my work trips are pretty, pretty boring. Um, but this one was pretty cool. We, our meetings were in uh, Sears Tower. It's not called Sears Tower anymore, but I don't know what it's called now. But I think we all know Sears Tower, the, the really tall tower in Chicago. And uh, I don't know what floor we were on, but we were, we were way up there. And it was really cool to look down. I don't think I've ever been that high in a building before. It was it was a little nerve wracking. We had to get on like take elevators up and then get on another bank of elevators to go further up. It was awesome. It's fantastic. We uh, were meeting some folks from Deloitte there as well, and they took us out to dinner. And we went to this fancy uh, Italian restaurant. Um, if you have seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the scene where uh, Ferris sees his father in the restaurant, that's the restaurant. And so I was just excited to be in that restaurant. Um, and it was, uh, it was just, it was great. It was, it was a good trip and we got a lot, it was productive. Um, on the way home though, uh, there's a group of us in a car and we got uh, caught in rush hour traffic. And then we got um, caught, there's like a couple of accidents and it took us like nine hours to get home. Do you know what, when people asked about the trip, you know what I talked about? That trip home. It wasn't, wasn't about the purpose of why we went up there. Eventually I got to all the, all the good stuff. But it was about like, man, what did I go through? Like, how much did I suffer? I don't know, do you, do you ever, do you ever get like that? Do you know what kind of man Paul was? Let's look over in Acts, the 14th chapter. So to set the context, in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, and the Holy Spirit had um, told them to set Paul and Barnabas aside for a work that they had planned. So Paul and Barnabas go on a missionary journey. Uh, they go over to Cyprus, things go well, and then they up to Asia Minor, and they make a couple of stops, and they come to Antioch of Pisidia, and there the Jews stirred up persecution and essentially they got driven out of the area so they they go there then they go to iconium where they face opposition and then they find out that there's a plot to stone them so they leave lystra um excuse me they leave iconium and they go to lystra at lystra that's where paul heals a man who was born lame and the locals then start to praise Paul and Barnabas. They start calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. 
And Paul and Barnabas are having none of this. They tear their clothes. They ask, why are you doing this? And they preach to them about God. Jews, though, had come from Antioch um, and Iconium, about a hundred miles away, just to stir up the crowds against Paul. And so then the same people who are calling Paul a god, Hermes, are the ones that stone Paul. They, they presume that he's dead and they leave him. Paul gets up, goes in back into Derby or goes back into the city. The next day goes to the, goes to Derby and then retraces back through Lystra where they stoned him, Iconium where they tried to stone him and Antioch where they kicked him out. He goes right back through all of those cities. When they get back to Antioch of Syria, do you know what they said? Do you know what I would have said? Well, you already know, after my Chicago story, what I would have said. Can you believe what happened to me? Look at these scars, right? Look at the look at these wounds I have. They treated me so poorly. Acts 14, verse 27, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. These are the words of a man focused on the mission. It's not about him. It's not about his experience. It's all about what God's doing. About the the work that God is doing. And the result of furthering the purpose from which they went out to open the door to the Gentiles. It's amazing focus. Paul had people who tried to dissuade him from his mission as well. Look over in Acts, the 21st chapter. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to face persecution. And in verse uh, verse 10, while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this bell and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Did you catch the we there in the people who are trying to persuade Paul to not go into Jerusalem? So Luke, who's been traveling with, with Paul, he is joining in with the chorus of, don't do this. Paul will not be dissuaded. Like Jesus, Paul knows that persecution awaits him. He says that they're breaking his heart and that he is willing to not only be bound, but to die. Dedication to the mission. Throughout the books of Acts, we see God's people exhibiting a similar attitude. In Acts 2, we see the fellowship, the devotion to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, the sharing among believers. In Acts chapter 4, we see more sharing and teaching We see them sacrificing their belongings for the good of the others. We see that persecution arose and the people went to the Lord. And they didn't go to the Lord to say, 
please stop the persecution. They went to the Lord to say, give us more boldness. They wanted boldness to continue the mission. In Acts chapter 8, as Paul is, after Stephen had been stoned, and Paul was ravaging the church, and the believers are scattered, but they're preaching the word. And in the danger, in the face of danger and opposition, they maintain their cause. They run and they spread the gospel. How are you doing on your mission? Are you holding your own? Or are you an ING person? Are you growing, progressing, excelling, maturing? What's the evidence? What are we willing to sacrifice for the mission? What are we willing to get out of our lives because it's a distraction? Because it's persuading us to take it easy or take a different route. In the 2004 Olympics, there was an American sharpshooter who was about to fire his final shot to claim the gold medal. Uh, He was dominating the competition. It came down to his final shot. All he had to do was to make a decent shot. And he's, he's won. He pulls the trigger and he hits the bullseye on the wrong target. He goes from first to eighth. No gold medal. No medal at all. Um, embarrassment, shame, right? Uh, the athlete would later say that uh, he always through his scope, checks the number above the target. He was so worked up, though, because of the magnitude of the situation, the pressure that was on him, that he was more focused on his breathing and calming down. And he overlooked something that was incredibly critical to his success. Don't you see how easy it is to get distracted from the target? We can do all the right things And just a a moment of distraction can cause us to aim at the entirely wrong thing. Let's look over in 1 Chronicles, the 11th chapter. I think we see an an example of this with David. I meant the 21st chapter. 1 Chronicles 21. To set the context, though, in 1 Chronicles 11, David is made king. Um, A few chapters later, he brings the ark into Jerusalem. God makes a covenant with him. Everything seems to be going really well. A few chapters later, David uh, and the armies are just going on a military victory tour. They are just defeating everybody. Um, even situations where it just seems like they're outnumbered or they're overwhelmed and God demonstrates his power through the people and they are victorious and it is awesome. Look at chapter 21, verse one. 
Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. David proceeds to do this. Joab says, don't do this. This is, this is not a good idea. This is only going to uh, lead to disaster. David does it anyway. And he disobeys the word of the, the Lord. And do we see like the subtlety of, of God or of, of the devil working on David here? It's just counting people. We see it feeding David's ego and David's pride. And we see the result ultimately in verse 14 is that the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel and 70,000 people died. 70,000 people because David had an ego. Because David took his eyes off the target for a moment. Have you shifted your focus? God's word helps us keep us grounded, help us keep us in the mission. For the sake of time, I'm not going to turn to it. But we see when Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil came to try to get him to change his focus, to abandon his mission, to pick up a new mission, we see how, how Jesus time and time again resisted the devil. He used scripture. Scripture helps us resist the devil. The story of David, though, can encourage us because we see how David responded to this lack of focus. We see that David... The Lord calls David to meet the angel of the Lord at the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, there's, a, there's a part of me that didn't want to bring this story up because I'm not even going to do it justice. This is an incredible story. And I would encourage you just to take your time and read through it and consider the activity of the Lord, the activity of David, the grace and love and mercy that God displays. But he meets this angel at this threshing floor. God, the angel, is about to destroy Jerusalem. That's a detail that was lost on me. I've read through this story a lot. But the angel is about to destroy an entire city. And God relented and calls David. David there builds an altar. He offers burnt offerings and peace offerings. And it says in verse 27 of 21... That the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into its sheath. And in 22 verse 1, David says, Here shall be the house of the Lord God. And here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. At the place where a sinful man builds an altar to the Lord and offers burnt offerings and peace offerings that is accepted by the Lord. This demonstrate demonstration of the mercy and grace of God. That is where the temple would be built, where generations of people would come and bring their sacrifices. Generations of sinners would come to bring their sacrifices to appeal to the mercy of God. How do we regain our focus? Think about the grace and the mercy of God that he has poured upon us and let us, let, let us use that.
to motivate us to excel and to progress and to mature and to grow. What we see in the next few chapters is a a man on a mission. David prepares the temple uh, for a temple building. He charges Solomon to build the temple. He organizes the priests and the Levites. He organizes everything about it. In 28, he speaks, he gives a charge to Israel and a charge to Solomon. In 29, there's offerings for the temple and it is abundant. This free will offering that the people gave to the Lord. And in verse 9, it says the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. It's an, it's an awesome thing. When someone regains their mission and the, 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 the benefits are incredible. So what is our mission? Just for a couple of minutes, I want us to look in Ephesians, uh, starting in the first chapter. We're not going to, we're not going to read a lot, but I did want to call out a few things. In verses 3 through 14, we talk, it talks about all of the, 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 the blessings that God has lavished upon us, his people. And the response for us is to be praisers to God. It talks in Isaiah about how God is going to raise up a generation of generation after generation of praisers of him. That is how the, the message of the gospel, how the glory of God gets spread to others. That we are to be praisers of God. In chapter 2, it talks about us being his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. It talks about us being a dwelling place of God. We are a temple. God dwells within us. But in chapter 6, verse 10, it talks about our mission. In verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, in change, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We are to be strong. We are to put on this armor. And you don't put on the armor just for show. You don't You don't put on the armor just to look intimidating. We put on the armor to do the work of the Lord. 
In verse 16, it talks about in all circumstances that we bring this shield of faith that can extinguish the arrows of the evil one. Are you mission focused? What's your status? Are we holding our own? Are we growing? Are we progressing? Are we excelling? Let us be a people committed to the mission. If you are baptized and you've not been mission focused and you need the prayers of the congregation, we can take care of that tonight. And if you're not baptized, God is calling you. He has a purpose for you. In Ephesians 1, it talks about how he has called before the foundation. He called all of us to be his. And you can be his tonight. Uh, Come forward as we stand and sing.